lucky you came here today. So lucky. You know why? Because I'm going to tell you God's will for your life. Anybody been wondering, looking? I've got it for you right here. Are you ready? Rejoice evermore. All the time. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is that a problem for anyone? I'm sure you're all just rejoicing every moment of the day and constantly in a state of prayer. And I know that every little thing that happens, you're just thankful and, and, and rejoicing. Isn't that right? For some of you, it may be difficult, but in our home, we were very holy. And uh, it wasn't a problem for us, especially when the children were little and especially on a Sunday morning. All reigned in peace. I, I would raise, rise early and make the coffee and then wake my husband to rise, beloved. <laughs> and he would arise and call me blessed. <laughs> and then I'd go to the kids' rooms, little ones, another day in which to praise Jesus. And, oh, thank you, mommy. And they all ran to the breakfast table and, and we had a, just a beautiful time and nobody touched anybody and nobody spit on anybody's food. It was just peaceful. And then I'd say, children, time to go to your room and get ready. And they jump when I speak and they ran to their rooms. And everyone had clean underwear and everyone had clean socks and everyone could find their shoes. And we went out to the car rejoicing. Isn't that what it's like in your home? You see, I know for some of you, maybe that's a struggle. <laughs> oh, you know what goes on. Some of the things that go on, especially when my children were little, some of the stupid things we say. If you fall and break your leg, don't you come running to me. Yeah. We say some silly things, and you think, okay, who is this written for? It's written for us, and this is our goal. And Oh, Jerry, hi. Sorry, I'm mentally ill. Everything that comes into my head comes out my mouth. So, how are you? Um, sorry, I just saw somebody I knew. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, well, what was I saying? <laughs> huh? Yes, it is. And some days, sometimes in your life, some of you have gone through a crisis at times and you have experienced that. I have in moments here and there when, when God takes over your thinking and your mind and helps you. Oh, we're, we're human. We're ordinary. We fall. We mess up. But that is our goal. And you know, when, when I was a kid, I could memorize everything. I was a machine. We had an old china cabinet at the back of our Sunday school department with prizes in it that you could win, and I won everything. I won a Bible. I won a bracelet. I won a plaque. I could memorize. Once in high school, I was walking from math to English, and, and somebody reminded me we were supposed to have memorized a Shakespearean sonnet. Well, I'd forgotten all about it. So walking down the hall from math to English, I memorized it. Wrote it out perfectly. Now, I don't know anything. I don't even remember my own name some days. And my kids, Frank and Joey, you know who you are. Come here. I, 
just a whole new ball game, you know? You can't remember why you went into a room and you go back. As soon as you sit down, you remember and, and blah, blah, blah. So maybe this is where our memory sits. I don't know. But uh, it ain't easy. But one of the things, how many think it's important to teach children to memorize scripture? I think it's fabulous. Because I can't remember much now, but I remember so much from when I was a child and the things that were put into you. And one of the verses you teach your kids right after John 3.16 is, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you say, well, why are you lisping? Well, because I was a fat little kid who lisped. And that's how I said it. All things work together for good to those who love God called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. And then you get older. And life happens. And if you're a thinking person at all, that gives you pause for thought. All things work together for good. It seems to push it. I think it'd be easier if it said some things work together for good. But all? But you know, in my old age, Pastor, I went back to seminary at the age of 48, 40 years ago. No, <laughs> Some of you almost believed it. I'm not 88. Anyway, um, and, and I watched those smart people. And sometimes they look up a word in the original language, and you get a whole different sense, a whole different nuance, a whole different understanding of the context, and it can, it can shade the meaning of that word. And in Romans 8, when he's talking about living in the spirit and not in the flesh and and uh, that there's no condemnation and all of these things. When he gets down to verse 28 and he says, all. Do you know what he means there by all? All. $30,000 in education. It says all. It means all. All things. Well, this isn't just a nice saying. This is scripture. So all means every single thing that has ever happened to you or will happen to you can be worked together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. It's very obvious all things are not good. Just look at Ukraine and Sudan and the atrocities going around the world and in our own, our own communities and our own churches and you're meeting Thursday night to discuss some important issues. All things are not good. But it says all things can be worked together for our good. But then you see, you've got to ask yourself what good means. Did you ever hear Mark Rutland speak? Oh, he's amazing. He used to be the president of the um, Southwestern College in uh, Florida or something. Uh, but he's brilliant. He can speak nine languages. And he can preach in five of them. I mean, come on. I speak English. That's my language. I understand the nuances, and the, that's, that's what I'm familiar with. I'm good at English. And French, mm, je peux parler juste un peu. Est-ce qu'il y a des francophones ici? Ah oh, oui, je ne parle pas bien, mais excusez-moi. <laughs> but I don't speak French. I can fake it for a minute. Mais je parle pas bien. Oui? Tu comprends que j'ai dit? Oui. I don't speak French. Little bits here and there. And Italian... Are there any Italians here? Good, that was perfect Italian. Ti parlato italiano? Giusto, okay. Well, I didn't say it very well, but you know, I did pretty good, eh? You know, for a... Thank you. 
Grazie, ti sei molto gentile. Oh, but I don't speak Italian. I had a sister-in-law, I still do, who's Italian. She taught me a few phrases, but I don't speak Italian. But Mark Rutland, this brilliant man, says you... Is that my phone whistling over there? It's whistling on my... You know, these people who don't turn their phones off, if it rings too, just answer it. Tell them I'm busy. Anyway, and he said, um, oh yeah, and he said you have to learn how to speak God. What do you mean? He said, well, well, sometimes when God says something, you hear one thing and he means something completely different. For instance, he said, if Adam and Eve ate that fruit, that they would die. They didn't die, but they died. And when Jesus said he was coming to earth to set up a kingdom, they thought, yes, tear down the Roman government, set up a kingdom, yes. But he didn't set up a kingdom, but he set up a kingdom. You know, not what they expected, but what he meant. And, and when Paul says here in Romans 8, 28, that all things will work together for good, he doesn't mean good. He means good. Yeah. So when somebody says to you something's going to be good, what do you think? Pleasant? Nice, chocolate, whatever. And I don't think that's what this means here because I think we get insight in the next verse. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I am suggesting that good is anything that will push you a little closer to looking like Jesus. So it's not so much, and you know, some of you who are younger, and everything, it's not so much, where should I go to school? What should I do? Um, where should I live? Where should I? It, those, are, those are important. But what he's concerned with is what you are becoming. Are you becoming like Jesus? That's a tall order. But, but that is our goal. To become like Jesus. And if we look at it in that way, absolutely anything that happens to you can be put into the hands of God and used to make you more like Jesus. Or it can destroy you. It's up to you. It's up to you. And, you know, I I read this story about a town in Alabama, Enterprise, Alabama. And at the turn of the century, this town just thrived on cotton industry. They were, they were very prosperous, and everybody's jobs were related to cotton, and, and it was just really going well until the little Mexican bull weevil, the bug that eats cotton, worked its way up to Alabama, and they were wiped out. Many places were wiped out. They couldn't seem to grow the cotton anymore. It was an unprecedented plague, and the town went into a slump, economically poor. They just, they weren't making it. People lost their life savings. So in a crisis, you're forced to diversify. And they found out they were really good at growing peanuts. And they became more prosperous on the peanut industry than they'd ever been on cotton. So I read that if you go to that town today, you'll find a monument in the middle of town to the bull weevil. And I didn't believe it. I Googled it. And it is there. Because somebody had the sense to say, if it hadn't been for the bull weevil wiping us out, we would have never recognized 
our true potential. Are you getting this? I'm suggesting to you this. Oh, wait, I was speaking this once out west, and a man came up to me. He said, I'm from Enterprise, Alabama. He says, not only is the monument there, but we have a bull weevil day every year. And kids in school color the bull weevil or get little wooden ones, and they paint them, and we celebrate how that destruction made us. So I think that's a good, I mean, he doesn't know probably that he was using a scriptural principle. So my message to you this morning is to become monument builders to the very things in life that you feel are going to destroy you. See, I, I would build a monument for you right here, and this is a big shining monument to mental illness. <laughs> I, I'm mentally ill. How many haven't heard me speak before? Okay, you didn't know I was mentally ill. You didn't prepare them. Don't worry, I'm not violent. <laughs> no, no, no. I was uh, diagnosed many years ago with a major mood disorder, and then years after that, they said, no, it was bipolar 2. Uh, bipolar 1 is a very serious illness, and people become psychotic and delusional and hospitalized. This is a lesser kind. This is bipolar 2, where my highs were not problematic, really, but my lows, I had mostly crippling depression. And then... Some years ago, another psychiatrist said, I don't think you're bipolar. I think you have major depressive disorder and PTSD. So I don't know what I am. All I know is I need pills, Nicola. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't know that growing up, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And they just like you to be happy. You know what? I am so thirsty. Could you get me some water? That's so rude of me, wasn't it? No. No. It's just Nicola. She's my friend. Nicola. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So um, I grew up in this Pentecostal church. And, you know, um, our pastors like us to be happy all the time. Or at least they used to more. Like, is everybody happy tonight? And I'd think, no, I'm suicidal. <laughs> but you can't say that. That just doesn't sound spiritual. I'm suicidal. You can't be suicidal and still love Jesus, can you? Yes, you can. Anyway, I didn't know, and um, in my teen years, I used a lot of stupid things to make myself feel better. Alcohol, a little bit of drugs here and there, and it, it, it makes you feel better. And then you feel worse, and then you pick up d depressions and problems. And, and uh, long story short... In one of my high times, I went to Bible college. Are you loosening that up for me? You're a woman of God. I don't care what your husband says. <laughs> that was good. What was I saying? Hmm? Oh, yeah. So... <coughs> In one of my good times, I went to Bible college, and I met this wonderful Joe Goodwin. And the crazy man married me. He had no idea what he was in for. And uh, we've been married now 47 years, and he's a good old thing. <laughs> I'm going to keep him and everything. He's really, really nice. And you know what's beautiful about him? He has this servant's heart. And 
he was born to serve. And, and the great thing is, is I was born to be served. So it works very well together, very well. My friends get mad at me, it's quite pathetic. I'll be sitting there doing something at home and I'll look up and just go, uh, did you want coffee, honey? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's beautiful, it is pathetic, but it's beautiful. <laughs> anyway, and I got married and then I became a mentally ill pastor's wife. <coughs> How's your wife? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming she's fine. Um, but it was interesting, you know, people said to me sometimes, uh, you know, we've never had a pastor's wife quite like you. <laughs> I remember saying to one of the, uh, our board members' wives one day, where we were pastoring, I said, hey, you want to go to Montreal with me and break my daughter out of prison? <laughs> and I wasn't kidding. <laughs> it's a long story. Um, but anyway, I went on like this, and I remember thinking, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so I believe that. I didn't understand it, but I believe it. And we would sing it. Another one we would sing is, um, the, the, um, oh, yeah, that was it. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That's true. But then somebody added a really stupid verse, a stupid verse. If you want joy, you can jump for it. That's stupid. But, you know, I tried to figure out, <clears throat> I, was, I was with my husband, he was pastoring, and I'm thinking, what is the joy of the Lord, and how come I don't get it? And when I do, it's very, very good. And I can do all kinds of things when I'm feeling like that. And then I fall into this horrible, dark pit that I cannot pull myself out of, and you know, this would go on and on for, for years. And I remember, like, when I was good, I was very, very good. And one church we were pastoring in, um, Joe was on staff at a church in Montreal. And, and uh, they didn't really have a, a kids group during the service for the 6 to 12-year-olds. I said, so could I start one? Yeah. And I said, I couldn't find any good curriculum, so I wrote the curriculum. And then I said, could we have a Sunday school class in the morning for young families? And yeah, go ahead. So I started that, couldn't find any good curriculum. I wrote the curriculum. And I had a Tuesday morning women's thing, and I would go in early and grind the coffee and make set up, and I was a machine. And, uh, but then I would reach a point where I could hardly get out of bed. Sometimes I could make myself function, and sometimes I couldn't. And uh, I remember, I, I won't tell my whole story of dealing with depression because so many of you have heard me, but... I have CDs back there with my whole story, lots of funny stories, but my whole story of finding help. But suffice it to say, when I was, uh, just before I turned 40, I remember thinking, I wonder if there's something wrong with me. Yeah, duh, I should have caught on. I thought, I wonder, maybe I'm mental, maybe I'm nuts. Right? You think I am? <laughs> Calls for a drink. Anyway, so I snuck off to a psychiatrist in Montreal, and I didn't tell anybody because I was embarrassed. That's a Pentecostal pastor's wife. We're not supposed to, you know, see psychiatrists. I've heard people say from pulpits, we don't need psychologists and psychiatrists when we have the word of God. Oh, be careful. 
That'd be just like saying, you don't need to go to see a doctor ever. You know, that, that's silly. I believe, how many know knows, knows somebody who has been healed? Look at all of that, yeah, me too. How many knows somebody who loves God with all their heart and has not been healed? Yeah. So, doctors are good. I had cancer five years ago, and they just sort of cleared it up, and I had chemo and radiation and the whole bit, and I'm fine now, I think. Unless I drop dead right here, you'll know. <laughs> but, um, so I went to this psychiatrist, and he told me that um, about the seventh or eighth visit, he said something like, uh, you have major mood disorder. And I said, excuse me? I'd never heard the word. I said, I have a, a mood disorder? I never heard the word, and I, you know, and I said, and pardon me, but I think you said major. <laughs> I have a major mood disorder, so I'm crazy. He says, no, nope, you have a physiologically based biochemical imbalance that requires medication. And I said, I can't take medication. Are you crazy? I'm not going to take medication. First of all, I'm German, and we are strong like bulls. And we don't take nothing for nothing. We used to laugh at people, seriously, who said, I've got a bit of a headache. Have you got an aspirin? We thought, wimp. <laughs> Wait, it will go. You know, what, a pill for this and a pill for that. Come on. And so if, if, you know, if my family found out I was taking a pill for you know, cuckoo or something, I said, no, no, not going to do it. And it's not going to go over in my church. I was a Pentecostal pastor's wife, and we're not supposed to do drugs to feel good. <laughs> of course, the pastor's wife struggles a little, but uh, I'm kidding. That is a joke. Is this being taped on? Is this on live? Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> so anyway, um, I said, well, you're going to have to think of something else because I, <laughs> I'm not, it's not going to go over in my family. It's not going to go over in my church. I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do it. He said, one of the side effects is you could lose weight. And I said, I'll try it. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. I thought, I'm not going to take one little pill and all the troubles in the world go away. That's just crazy. But hey, if I could lose weight, I'll take it for the side effects. Well, I didn't lose any weight, but after about uh, six weeks or so, I remember thinking, boy, I haven't been down for a long time. That's just a coincidence. I'm just having one of my good times, I guess. Then it went on for two months, three months, four months. And I remember saying to my husband, does everybody feel like this? Sometimes people jokingly call them happy pills. Well, they're not happy pills. All they do is restore to you the ability to focus. Restore to you the, the ability to think clearly without that blackness and that horrible thing over you. Well, you know, one lady said to me once, you know, Joanne, I think if you would just flush them down the toilet and trust God, you'd be okay. But you know what ruined it? She was wearing glasses. I said, okay, you flush your glasses down the toilet. And I'll flush my pills, and let's see who lasts the longest. <laughs> and then another person said to me quite genuinely, Joanne, the Bible says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. And you know, that's a beautiful verse for anybody who can control their thinking. 
And if you're just discouraged from life, and those things are, are excellent principles to follow, but when you are clinically depressed, you can't focus on anything. You don't have that ability. And so medication can just restore that to you. And some people say, well, you know, what about therapy and talk therapy? Yes, that's all great. But for me, it wouldn't have done me a bit of good until I had medication because I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think about what they were saying. So anyway, I have found great help in that. And, and from this monument, I have learned that God is bigger than anything I feel. His word is there. His salvation is true. It doesn't matter if you're feeling horrible and going through something awful. He doesn't take it back. You are a child of God, and it is not dependent on your feelings. So that's, that's my monument. And then I'd build another monument for you over here, and this is a monument to raising troubled children. Um, how many have heard me speak about my daughter? Okay, well, I... I she has asked me now not to tell the details anymore, just the, the rough thing. I, I had a daughter who was a drug addict for 22 years. And those of you who know the story know how traumatic it was, how overwhelming it was. And I think I should tell you right now, for those of you who heard my story, uh, she is now a nurse working with drug addicts. And winning people to Jesus. She talks to everybody about Jesus. It's just, it's, it's almost unbelievable. And, but to this one, I would say from this monument, I learned more about prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In times when you don't know where to go, what to do, the Spirit can lead you. The Spirit can guide you. I mean, other times I'd ask for guidance and I, I got nothing. But very often, I sense the guidance of the Lord through this dark place. One time I was speaking at a, a Jamaican church. Do we have any Jamaicans here? Eh? Jamaica. Yaman. Jerk chicken and, and dumplings and oxtail soup and, uh, you know. If anybody here likes Jamaican food, do you ever go to um, uh, Albert's Jamaican food in, in Toronto on St. Clair West? That's my brother-in-law. If you go there and tell him you heard me, he'll give you 20% off. <laughs> you'll be surprised, but he'll do it. <laughs> anyway. And I know people in Jamaica, their churches are livelier than so many of ours. But I thought, I was raised in Pentecost in the 50s. I have seen it all, Pastor. And uh, so I thought, you know, oh, I can do this. Oh, but I had not seen Pentecost in Jamaica. <laughs> oh, no. I got up to speak, and they just spoke back to me. They were just, sometimes they just stood up and pointed at me, and I thought, What? And there was a lady in the front. She kept standing up, and she looked angry, but I don't think she was angry. And she kept going, hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay. And there was another lady on this side, and she had a big hanky, and she kept going, oh, sweet Jesus. Jesus, you're sweet. Jesus, you're sweet. And they're just talking and pointing, and, oh, we were having a good time. And, you know, sometimes when I'm speaking, I'll start singing. Did I sing? Not yet? I usually do. Anyway, so it was a Thanksgiving Sunday, and I was trying to say how 
God can, uh, how we need to focus on gratitude even in difficult times. And so I started, you know, I thank him for the mountains. You see, that's the easy part, eh? And I thank him for the valleys. And I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. Because if I never had a problem, how would I know that God could solve them? How would I know what faith in God could do? And you know, most people listen politely like you just did. Not in Jamaica. Oh, no. I started, you know, I thank him for the mountains. And I hadn't noticed the guy behind me had never left the keyboard. And I heard, boy, You ever heard your preaching accompanied? And so I looked, and I thank him for the valleys. And I'm looking, and he's just ready to make that thing dance. And I thought, I can do this. And I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. And they're, amen, hallelujah, sweet Jesus. Because mm. if I never had a problem, and a man stood right up and said, then how would you know? How would I know that God could solve them? How would I know what faith in God could do? Oh, we were having a good time. You've got to speak in Jamaica. It's amazing. So then it was a special women's emphasis. And after me got up another speaker. And she was Sister Jennifer Duvaux. Now, I have lost 100 pounds. Did you know that? Did you see me fat? I mean, I know some of you are saying you're still not, not very small. I know, that's not the point. <coughs> but she was even bigger than me 100 pounds ago. And she was a big mama. And, you know, I think I'm fairly animated when I speak. Compared to Sister Duvaux, puppy dog. If I want to say something, I'd say, we have the power. And she goes, we have the power. And she screamed. And I, Oh, my soul. So I'm sitting in the front row, and she's marching back and forth in front of me, and she's screaming and spitting on me and sweating on me. <laughs> and she said, you know, sometimes I call my name into the atmosphere, and the angels of God carry it up to the throne. I thought, okay. <laughs> I don't know chapter and verse, maybe a hint of it in Revelation 5, but I... But she's painting a picture. She's painting a picture. And she said, I call Sister Jennifer Duvaux. And she even calls herself sister to the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Sister Jennifer Duvaux and the angels carry my name up to the throne. And everybody's hallelujah and shouting. And my daughter's name is Ginger. And she did something very powerful. She came to where I was standing and she said, we need to call the name of Ginger into the atmosphere. And hundreds of people began, Ginger. And the people behind me, come home, Ginger. It was so powerful. And I remember thinking afterwards, why was it so powerful? Am I saying that the louder you call, the more likely he is to hear? No. He hears your faintest whisper. But just even on an emotional level, all that affirmation, all that people joining with me and calling out for my daughter was hugely moving. And then on a spiritual level, level, 
God always commands a blessing on unity. And there's power when we, when we call together in the name of, of, of Jesus in unity. Anyway, it was, a, it was a powerful moment. And let me tell you, what Ginger's doing is amazing. She says, Mom, every drug addict that walks through that door, I love them. And she talks so freely about Jesus. She even started a group on Tuesday nights for women who have been through stuff like she's been. And she says, Mom, the people at my church, they're very nice to me, very good, but they don't get it. And she started calling other friends that she knew had been in a lifestyle, or some of them still were. And she said, let's get together. And there's about 100 women registered that they meet together. Usually there's about 30 or 40 of them. And they talk. They're not even doing a Bible study or anything. They support each other and, and pray. and it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a monument. Because from this one, I've learned about the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer. And then just quickly, one more monument for you here. This is one that I don't uh, give much detail on, but this is a monument to deep hurts or abuse. Um, and from this one, I've learned about forgiveness. Amen. And, you know, I remember there was somebody in my life that I, I had to forgive, and I just sort of kept pushing it out of my mind. And then in my 20s, I thought, no, no, I've got to. And I looked at the Bible, and what does the Bible teach you about forgiveness? And I'm looking, and it just says forgive. I could have used a little more detail. So I figured, you know, I remember kneeling and praying saying, God, I absolutely forgive them in the name of Jesus. And then it would come back again. I thought, I thought that was it. I thought when you said that, God reached in, took it away, and that was it. But it kept coming back. So I thought, what did, what did I do wrong? I said, in Jesus' name, I, I did it. You know, what did I do wrong? And then I thought, I remember hearing Pete preachers say, sometimes you give something to God and then you take it back. I thought, maybe I'm taking it back. Maybe I should just refuse to think about it. I will refuse to think about it. So every time it came back, I would just, you know, whew, how about them Blue Jays? <laughs> On to something else. I would not think about it. So you know what happened? I started dreaming it. I remember waking up in the middle of the night one night, crying and saying, but I was just a little girl. So I thought, well, well, what do I do, God? And I thought, to be more like Jesus, you don't have to pretend. Amen. You don't have to pretend it didn't happen. And so, so what do you do? I said I forgive, and he didn't take it away. So what I thought was, I mean, we are made in such a way that when people hurt us, we grieve. And when we don't, I wonder why. There's something blocked up there that's not good. And so what I did was, every time it came back, I let myself feel sad for a minute. And I grieved. And then I said, and that's what I forgive in the name of Jesus. Call it what it is. You can't forgive it if you don't call it what it is. Some people say, well, you know, maybe it, it wasn't so bad. Well, maybe it was. Or you say, um, 
well, it's not nice to, to speak of such things. Why not if it's your pain? Or some say, well, others have suffered worse. Well, that can give you perspective, but that doesn't take your pain away. So I started just being honest with myself and with God. And I let myself grieve every time it came to mind. And then I said, and that is exactly what I forgive in the name of Jesus. So, yeah. I found out it came back to mind less and less and less. And then in my 40s, I realized I can recall with perfect clarity everything that hurt me. But I can't work up the pain anymore. I think that's called healing. And so I'm suggesting, you know, if this one I learned, God is bigger than anything we feel. From this one, I learned about the power of prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. For this one, I, from this one, I've learned about the beauty of forgiveness. It's a huge thing. So many people have their experience with God spoiled by hanging on to unforgiveness. And you say, well, you know, you don't know what I've dealt with. No, I don't. But the Lord does. And some of you just have to forgive little things. Though. And some of you have to forgive deep, deep things. You know, love is, everyone says, the greatest word in the world. And I suppose it is. But to me, the greatest word is mercy. 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 He had mercy on me. Because if you knew me better, you wouldn't want to hear me. And he had mercy on me. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. And it was there my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary. So you learn to dish out mercy. The Bible says with whatever measure you meet it out, it will be measured to you. So I carry a bucket of mercy with me wherever I go. Sometimes it can be the smallest thing and somebody will say something and you just, ooh, that was not nice. And if you think about it for a while, you even go further. Them of all people. Accusing me when they look at them. And other times it's much bigger than that. But I've got to the point where forgiving is so much easier now to dish it out whenever. Amen. And it's so freeing. You won't believe how freeing it is. And you know, sometimes I think the problem is with mercy is we can't really forgive ourselves. We're so aware of what we have done and the guilt plagues us. And, you know, I just happen to have a big bucket of mercy here today. And I'm going to pour it over you. This side over here. I'm going to pour mercy on you. Are you ready? You are forgiven. You are clean. You are pure in the eyes of God. Let that sink in. And to these people over here, ready? Whoosh. Let it sink into your pores. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are pure. And you know, the more you recognize the mercy in your life, 
the easier it gets to, to give it out. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I can't go there yet. You know, start with whatever you can. If all you've got is a little teaspoon for now, you can say, okay, I forgive. And it was hard for you. And do it again. And do it again. And do it again. And do it again until you find freedom. Mercy. So mercy. Wherever you go. So mercy. So grace. So kindness. So faith. Words are like water sprinkled with love. You will harvest all your heart's been dreaming of. If you sow mercy, mercy. So I hope this morning that you have identified in your mind some areas in your life that you think if only God would make this go away. What about changing your thinking and saying, okay, God, if that's not going to go away, I'm building a monument. I'm making a marker in my life. It doesn't mean you're glad that it happened. No, 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 no. It just means that it's a marker and you can say, okay, what can I learn from this? How can God teach me through this? Make it a monument in your life, in your mind. I hope you're doing that right now. Say, God, I'm giving this to you, and instead of crying the blues all the time about it, I'll let myself feel the sorrow of things that have hurt me, but I'm going to say, what can you teach me from this? It's life-changing. It's life-changing. And, you know, if I uh, don't see you again here until the other side... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Will you look me up? Will you show me your monuments? Um, oh, I forget, I forget that song. By and by, picture this. When the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we will Tell the story of how we've overcome and we'll understand it better by and by. If you know it, sing with me. Oh, by and by. Picture it. When the morning comes, when all these saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story of how we've overcome And we'll understand it better by and by. Monument builders. Monument builders. If I don't see you again on this side, look me up. We'll talk about it. And we'll do coffee.